Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, Genesis chapter 13, I started a sermon series last week along with our 21 days of prayer entitled One Matters, and God cares about big numbers in the Bible. There's a lot of big numbers talked about in the Bible, but sometimes we get our eyes focused on the big numbers and we forget the small ones matter as well. Even one matters. And so we're talking about one matters. Last week I preached on one soul matters, and this week I want to kind of take it a different direction and talk about this. One decision matters, Genesis chapter 13. One decision matters matters. Before I dive into that, when's the last time you, you uh, went to the grocery store to try to buy a snack? If you've been to the grocery store lately, and I grew up at, you know, ShopRite, worked at ShopRite, 1984, Chatsworth, Georgia. I call it the Love Shack. Sometimes that confuses people where I call it the Love Shack, but that's where I met my wife was at the grocery store. I was her bag boy, so I call it, I call it the Love Shack because there's a whole lot of love went down at ShopRite back in the day, and so I, I call it the Love Shack. Anyway, that's, I digress, but um, uh, you go to the grocery store now, you'll notice there's a lot of difference between a 1984 grocery store and a 2020 grocery store. A lot more stuff in there. As a matter of fact, your average grocery store, if you go into the average grocery store and you buy a snack and you say, I want to buy a cookie, you go on, on the cookie aisle and here's what you'll discover. There are 285 varieties of cookies in the grocery store. It's overwhelming. You say, well, preacher, it's simpler for me than that. I, I, won't, I just like chocolate chip. Well, that's even cause your problem because there are 21 chocolate chip options. I mean, even Chips Ahoy's got, you know, like the double chocolate thing. I don't want that. I just want a regular ch- cookie and they're hard to find sometimes. You say, well, I'm just gonna get a cracker. Good luck with that because there are 20 different types of goldfish crackers. Who cares what shape they're in, but they made 20 different kinds of them. You say, well, I'm gonna get something to drink. Again. There are 13 different sports drinks. There are 65 box drinks. And Lord forbid you want a juice because there are 85 flavors of juice in the average grocery store. You say, well, I'm going to go old school. So give me some Pringles. All God's people said amen, right? Right. It's 12 varieties of Pringles. You say, preacher, all this is giving me a headache. I'm just going to get some pain reliever. Good luck. There are 80 different varieties of pain relievers in average typical grocery store. And then there are varieties of things that don't matter. They shouldn't even exist. For example, I know my wife's a good cook, man. She cooks so well. And I don't think, in my life, I don't think she's ever made this. You probably have, and you do a great job with it. I'm not throwing shade at you or anything. But there are, so for something that shouldn't exist, there are 16 varieties of instant mashed potatoes. Right? It shouldn't even exist, but there are 16 varieties of them. And then there, if you want to spice them up a little bit, there's 70 kinds of instant gravies that you can put on. You say, preacher, I'm just going to simplify all this. We'll make spaghetti. Good luck. There are 20 different pasta sauces. Now, I know what some of you are saying. You're throwing a bunch of junk up on the screen. I'm I'm, going to go healthy, and I'm going to fix a salad. Just get some lettuce. Good luck with that, because there are 175 different salad dressings. 
And then, you know what they tell you to do sometimes, you're trying to lose some weight. Not that I need to lose weight or, or ever trying, but if I were, I've heard them say sometimes, if you're, if you're craving something sweet, brush your teeth. Well, so you want to brush your teeth and get rid of the sweet craving. There are 27 varieties of Crest toothpaste. 27 of Crest. And I know some of you, you're like me. You're thinking like me. Done with it all. I'm going to simplify this. Make it as simple as it can possibly be. I'm going to eat a bowl of cereal for dinner. Well, good luck with that. There are 275 types of cereal in the average grocery store. Uh, which led researcher at Columbia University, Sheena Iyengar, to say this. The average person every day has to make 70 decisions. That translates into 25,500 decisions a year, or get this, over a lifetime, 1,788,000 decisions if you live to be 70. 1,788,000 decisions. And let me get this, your life, where you are right now, whether you're a teenager, whether you're an adult, whether you're a senior adult, where you are right now, your life is the sum total of those decisions. You may not have made 1,788,000, but your life, where you are right now, is the sum total of those decisions. If you took all of your 70 decisions today and put them up and put them together, we could recognize the path you've been on. So, so could you. But I bet for every one of us that if you went back and looked over your life, you can pinpoint some of those decisions that were difference makers. Some of those decisions that just weren't, weren't your normal run-of-the-mill decisions, but some of those decisions that impacted our life, whether good or bad. Some decisions that even today, we were reaping the goodness of those decisions, and some decisions that even today, we're reaping the badness of those decisions. See, your life is the culmination of all your decisions, but there are some decisions that will put us on a path that will alter and affect the rest of our lives. See, it, it, it takes an accumulation of decisions to alter our course. So for example, most of the decisions you make in a day are not gonna alter our course until they accumulate. I'll give you a great example. If you go home today and you say, I'm gonna eat a moon pie and ice cream for lunch. Oh, how, how many went and got black chocolate cherry ice cream last week? Anybody? Because I heard, heard Publix ran out, right? If you didn't, go today, go today, go today. Sherry got me some, it's awesome. And... Um, you go home today and you say, for lunch, I'm going to eat a moon pie and, and blackjack cherry ice cream. And, uh, and yeah, all God's people said, amen. And, and, and you, you, it's fine today. It's fine. I, a matter of fact, I highly recommend it, right? Like go home and do it today, right? But if you do that every day, the sum total of that decision will drastically alter and shorten your life. You won't have to make 1,700,000 decisions. You won't live near that long. Right? But sometimes it takes one decision. Sometimes it takes one good decision that finds us basking in the favor of God for years to come. And sometimes it takes one bad decision that, if we're not careful, can alter and ruin our lives. That's exactly what happened to the guy in our story today. So, would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? Genesis chapter 13. If you don't have your Bible or digital device, it's right up here on the screen. You can look with me, Genesis chapter one, uh, chapter 13, rather, verse number one. Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he, his wife, and all he had, and Lot with him. Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. 
He went by stages from the Negev to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had formerly been, to the site where he had built the altar. And Abraham called on the name of the Lord there. Now Lot, who was traveling with Abram, also had flocks, herds, and, and, and tents. But the land was unable to support them as long as they stayed together, for they had so many possessions that they could not stay together. And there was quarreling between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please, let's not have quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, since we are relatives. Isn't the whole land before you separate from me? If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked out and saw that the entire plain of the Jordan, as far as Zoar, was well watered everywhere like the Lord's garden in the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for himself. Then Lot journeyed eastward, and they separated from each other. Abraham, Abram lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot lived in the cities on the plain and set up his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. So many of you may know this story that Lot and Abraham have been together for a while. Lot's father was Abraham's brother and Lot's, and Lot's father had died uh, when Lot was young. And so Abraham had kind of taken Lot under his wing and kind of adopted Lot. And though he was his nephew, he treated him like a son. And so they had gone to Egypt during the time of famine. And I won't tell the whole story, but while they were in Egypt, they got incredibly wealthy. The king of Egypt gave, gave Abraham and Lot tremendous amount of wealth, really gave them wealth to get them away. And so they, they uh, get away out of Egypt. They're going back into Israel. And it's there, right, as they're leaving Egypt, going into Israel, that they're making this terrible decision. Lot made a terrible decision in Genesis 13. You say, well, how bad was it? It cost Lot everything. Lot lost his entire family. Do you remember the story? How many of you remember the story of Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt? You remember that story? I mean, his wife turned into a pillar of salt. He lost his son-in-laws. If he had grandchildren, he lost them. He lost his daughters, the one he kept. It was a horrible situation. Lot lost his wealth. Lot lost his integrity. Lot lost his future. Lot lost his present. As a matter of fact, Lot cursed his present and he cursed his future because of decisions he's about to make. And really all because of one seemingly insignificant decision that was tragically the wrong decision. Look, you don't want to make a decision that bad. I don't want to make a decision that bad. So here's what we're going to do. What are some indicators that may indicate we're making the wrong decision? Now, I want to say this. I'm not preaching a sermon today how to make a great decision. I'm not preaching how to not make a, a bad decision. There, there, there are tons of Bible verses I could pull out and talk about this. We're going to specifically look at Lot's story. And I want to tell you four things that puts weight on a decision. And that'll help us make the right decisions in life. Number one is this. Here's what I need you to know from Lot's story. Number one, money doesn't equal happiness. Lot, Lot, Lot and, and Abram had amassed all the wealth while living in Jesus and they, in Egypt, they were wandering poor nomads and they came out wealthy suburban professionals. They were both incredibly wealthy and somehow Lot had amassed a fortune as well and they're about to split up, which is a bad decision. They're, they're about to separate, which is a terrible decision. And the decision they made was entirely on finances. You say, well, preacher, what, what should Lot have done? Listen. Lot should have been willing to have taken a financial loss. Let's stay with Abraham. You, you said, what do you mean? Lot, Abraham said, look, 
look like our, our shepherds and sheep and herdsmen and us and our wealth. We're not getting along. We're not even getting along because we got so much stuff. So let's separate. Lot should have said, Abraham, you've been like a father to me. God has blessed you with so much and the blessing and favor of God upon you. Abraham, I'm not gonna leave your side. I'm gonna become as one of your servants. You can have all of my stuff if you want it. I don't care about stuff. I care about the favor and blessing of God. Instead, based on finances, Lot said, yeah, sounds like a good idea. Listen, Lot should have given up everything he had if it meant staying close to Abraham. You know why? Abraham was the man God was going to bless for all of eternity. If you have a chance to be friends with the guy that God is going to bless for eternity, take it. Because there's only ever been one. And his name is Abraham. There's a reason we call him Father Abraham. God has blessed him for all of eternity. And Lot should have said, you know what, Abraham, I'm not leaving. You can just have my stuff. I don't want it. Figure it out. I am not leaving. But he made this decision purely on finances. And can I tell you this? When you make a decision purely on finances, you'll discover money doesn't equal happiness. Like, like we can see that other places. Can, can I tell you this? If you are here and think uh, more money equals more happiness, go read Hollywood News this afternoon, right? Look at people that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, who, whose families are a joke, whose lives are a joke, who are strung out on drugs, making terrible decisions, and they have all the money they could want, and it doesn't equal happiness. Go, go, go read the stories of your, the, 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 the music you listen to, and you'll find money doesn't equal happiness. Go and Google the wealthiest people that have ever been in America. And you know what you'll find out? Money doesn't equal happiness. And we get inside of our minds and our hearts that we've got to keep up with the Joneses. And, and if the Joneses are doing it, then we've got to do it. And I'm telling you, we're chasing happiness in the form of money. And it's always going to lead us astray. You know, you've read the stories about lottery winners. And, and I, I won't even go over those. You know, there's so many horrific stories about people who won mega millions of dollars typically. And, 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 and here's the truth. Just don't be offended by this. It's just truth. If you can't manage $100, you can't manage $100 million either. You know, it's just true. Bible said people who are faithful in a little can then be faithful with much. And money doesn't solve your problems. It exacerbates them. As a matter of fact, most of the time it doesn't solve them. It makes them bigger. And so, so if you can't manage 100 but there's stories, 70% of lottery winners go broke, uh, divorce, family issue, even suicide run rampant. But uh, the, uh, the uh, researchers at uh, the Federal Reserve in Georgetown University decided to do a study on the uh, neighbors of mega million lottery winners. Here's what they discovered. If your neighbor wins more than a million dollars in the lottery, your chances of bankruptcy dramatically increase. If your neighbor wins a million, do you know why? Because they buy a Lamborghini and you think, well, I know I work at Walmart, but I got to go get me a Lamborghini somehow. <laughs> Your chances of bankruptcy, why? Because, because you think money equals happiness. Money doesn't buy you happiness. Decisions based on money rarely produce happiness. 
And people make all kinds of bad decisions based on money, on, on taking a job solely on money, on moving across the country solely on money, on marrying based on money, uh, losing your integrity by sacrificing your morality for the sake of money. Those decisions and others like them made the wrong way will impact you for the rest of your life. Money doesn't buy happiness, so don't make decisions based on money. Number two, we learn from Lot. Number two, don't throw relationships away. Look what he said in verse number nine. Abraham said, isn't the whole land before you? Separate from me. If you go to the left, I go to the right. You go to the right, I go to the left. Separate from me. I mean, here's Abraham had taken his uh, Lot in when, when, when Lot's father had passed away. They've been through some good times and bad times together. Now their employees are arguing among themselves. It's causing strife, strife among the employees. It's causing strife among the families. And it's causing strife between Abraham and Lot. And so they decide the best thing for them to do was separate. Basically, basically sever the relationship. Now, verse number eight, I don't have it on the screen, but in verse number eight, Abraham referred to a lot as a relative is the word translated there, but the actual Hebrew word is the word brother. Abraham referred to Lot as a brother. And they're about to toss that relationship out the window. That conflict is, Lot is going to let conflict separate him from a brother. It's a bad decision. So I want to tell you this, when it, can I tell you when it comes to decisions, if it involves a relationship, rarely does throwing it away yield the right call. Now, I'm not talking about getting away from sin. I'm not talking about getting away from sinful people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when, when there is conflict in a relationship, we think, well, we've got to get rid of the relationship. We don't want conflict. Can I tell you this? Conflict isn't the enemy. Not dealing with conflict is. A Danish health survey asked 10,000 people between the ages of 36 and 52. Here's the question. In your everyday life, do you experience conflicts with any of the following people? Spouse, children, family members, friends, or neighbors? That's 10,000 pe people that question, and they let 11 years pass. After 11 years, 422 people had died, which was a normal, normal number. But what's compelling is the people who had answered always or often to conflict were three times more likely to die. Always or often to conflict were three times more likely to die. And by the way, they were quick to point out they weren't murdered. It was just normal deaths, cancer, heart disease, liver disease, those kind of things. Researchers concluded stressful social relations are associated with increased morality, mortality risk among middle-aged men and women. That's why they recommend that we develop what they call skills in handling worries and demands for close social relations as well as conflict management. You say, well, I told you, preacher, you ought to get rid of conflict. No, that's not what it said. As a matter of fact, here's what they discovered. Those who said they never had stress in their life in those relationships, never had any stress, were more likely to be dead than those who said they always had stress. So you say, what's the point of the story? Here's the point of the story. In the absence of conflict, you're going to die. But in the presence of conflict, you're going to die. You live when you learn to deal with conflict. Don't throw relationships away, deal with them. 
Say, preacher, we have so much conflict in our marriage, and I know it, and people are throwing away marriages because of conflict because we don't get along. Well, welcome to the club. We all go through the don't get along phase about every Tuesday, right? You don't throw it away. Well, preacher, I, I, I'm in a conflict with, with my family. I, I, I get it. Well, preacher, me and my, my friends, and, and I got a church member I'm sideways with. Listen to me. Bad decisions come when you decide to throw away relationships instead of dealing with the conflict. Some of you here today, you're contemplating throwing away a relationship. Don't do it. Work through the conflict. It'd have been so much better if Abraham and Lot had sat down and said, all right, we're not getting along. Let's talk about it. Third thing you need to know about making decisions is any decision that moves you closer to sin is the wrong decision. Verse 13, it concludes the part of the story. Now, the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. Not a lot of people have said they sinned immensely against the Lord. They didn't work through the conflict, bad decision number one. They separated, bad decision number two. Lot chooses Sodom and Gomorrah, worst of all decisions, number three. You know Sodom and Gomorrah. Even if you don't know this story, you know Sodom and Gomorrah. The names are synonymous with sexual depravity, anti-God, wickedness of all kinds, cruelty and unkindness, just to name a few. So Lot looked at Abraham, the symbol of the blessing of God. Lot looked at Sodom and Gomorrah, the symbol of wickedness against God, and Lot chose the wrong direction. And he had a bunch of good reasons for doing it. Get this, the rest of the world would have applauded his decision. But any decision that moves you closer to sin is a move in the wrong direction. Today's NFL playoffs, and I like like to be a little thematic, and I want to see if you recognize this guy. Number 20 for Detroit Lions, Immortal. Who is that guy? Does anybody know? Barry Sanders. Sanders. Possibly the greatest running back of all times. We had to explain to Sherry this week what GOAT was, G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. Could be the greatest of all time, right there. He finished number four in yards with 15,000 plus yards. He was a 10-time pro bowler. I'll just be honest, there has never been an NFL running back that does stuff like that. Never. He's amazing to watch. You go watch, go to YouTube and Google Barry uh, Sanders highlights and you'll just be blown away the way moves he can make. He's phenomenal. But did you know Barry Sanders holds another record? Do you know what it is? Barry Sanders holds the NFL record for the yards, most yards ever ran in the wrong direction. (laughs) Throughout his career, Barry Sanders ran 1,114 yards the wrong way. Every time a running back's handed the football, he has a choice to make. I'm gonna run that direction, which is the goal line for my team, or I'm gonna run that direction which is go line for the other team. Every time you go that direction, can I tell you this? It's the wrong direction, and they tend to tackle you better when you're going that direction. Barry Sanders holds the record. He's number four in the all-time list of right direction yards, but he's number one on the list of wrong direction yards. Every time he was given the football, he had a choice to make. Run the right way, run the wrong way. Can I tell you something? Every decision you make, you have a choice. What direction are you gonna run? Am I going to run the right way towards God? Am I going to go the wrong way away from God? And any decision that leads you towards sin is the wrong way. Listen, it may not even take you all the way there. 
But if it moves you closer, it's the wrong direction. Any decision that takes you farther away from God and closer to sin, closer to the world is the wrong decision, no debate. Teenagers, justify it all you want, it's the wrong way. Adults, explain it away all you want, it's the wrong way. Your friends may validate you for it, it is still the wrong way. Every decision you make in life should be, does this take me closer to the Lord or farther away? It's taking you farther away, it's the wrong decision. Number four, I'm done. Don't follow your eyes, ears, nose, throat, or heart. Follow God. I may have got carried away there typing in body parts, but. (laughs) Can I see what Lot did not do? Abraham, when he set out from Egypt, we're told early on that Abraham stopped, worshiped, and prayed. Can can I tell you what Lot didn't do when it came time to make this decision? Lot did not pray. No record of him praying whatsoever. Lot didn't consult Abraham or a mentor of some sort. Lot didn't offer a sacrifice. He didn't stop and worship. You hardly see any major Old Testament decision made without stopping to offer a sacrifice. Lot Lot never did it. He didn't consult a prophet. Here's what he did do, verse 10. Lot looked out and saw. That was it. In other words, Lot did nothing to follow God. He did everything to follow his own desires. Can I tell you this, that the best advice the world can give you is uh, follow your heart, right? Can I also tell you this? That is the dumbest advice you will ever receive in your life. Hands down, dumbest advice. You say, well, that's kind of cruel. Well, Jeremiah 17, nine says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Do you know how many times as a preacher I've had somebody come to me and tell me that they were about to make the worst decision of life? Now, they didn't say it that way. They said they were making the best decision of life. Translation, worst decision of life. And they said stuff like this. Well, preacher, I just feel like I need to follow my heart. I would never, ever follow your heart. Can I tell you this? You can't trust your eyes. Adam and Eve got in trouble because they looked. David got in trouble because he looked. Lot got in trouble because he looked. You can't trust your heart. Your heart is wicked, full of pride, hubris, and sin. And if I can't trust my heart and if I can't trust my eyes, listen, let's just go ahead and throw in ear, nose, and throat as well, Lot. Let's get rid of all of it, right? Can't trust any of it for good measure. You say, what do I do? Here's what you do. You follow God. You follow God and God will make sure you're going in the right direction. We overlook this verse a lot of times, Jer- uh, Psalm 23.3. The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, but here's what he said. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. You follow God. God will lead you. So what does that mean? That means when it's time to make a decision, you get down on your knees and pray. And you earnestly don't ask God to bless your decision. You ask God, what should my decision be? You seek wise, godly counsel. You fast and pray. You dig into the word of God. You wait until you hear from the Lord. That's how you follow God. Don't follow your eyes, ears, nose, throat, heart. They'll all lead you wrong. Follow God. Close your Bibles and I'm I'm finished. The Houston Astros won the uh, 
2017 World Series. There's a celebration pick. The Boston Red Sox won the 2018 World Series. And this week, three managers, one who's yet to manage a game, three managers and one general manager were fired from their teams. Two were banned for a year. The Astros had to pay $5 million and they lost draft picks for two years. All because someone made a bad decision. My sweet, sweet wife, my precious wife, we sat down at dinner Tuesday night, and she typically doesn't know a baseball from a football from a soccer ball. My sweet wife sat down Tuesday night at the dinner table, and she said, well, what about those Astros? <laughs> I, I don't know what's coming next. And I'm like, I know about the Astros. Do you know about the Astros? She said, oh, yeah. Stealing those signs and banging on that can. And that, my sweet wife had went and read all about the Astros that day so she could talk to me about it that night. It's bad. What about them Astros? It was bad. They were stealing signs with a center field camera banging on a garbage can. Many of you have seen it, and the ones that don't know don't care probably, right? So I'm, I'm it's okay. It was a terrible decision. It cost people their jobs, their integrity. In all, all probability, it cost other teams the World Series. Now, the other teams were the Dodgers, so I'm not broken up over that, but it cost them the World, <laughs> cost them the world Series. The rules are clear. Major League Baseball rules say this. Major League Baseball prohibits the use of electronic equipment to steal signs. It was a bad, bad, ugly decision. It made some people some money. It definitely threw relationships away. That's how they got caught. And the process didn't start out as egregious as it ended. It just kept moving closer and closer to the line. And here's what they did. They followed their heart, not the rules. And they were caught. What started out as a fun way to gain an advantage blossomed into an ugly, embarrassing mess. And look, here's the deal. We can all look at the Astros and recognize their sin. We can all look at that situation and go, well, that's crazy. That's crazy. I could have told them not to do that. I could have told them not to have done that and kept them from an embarrassing mess. Well, wait a minute. People are looking at you right now saying, hey, I'm telling you, don't do that. And we, we see it in others, and sometimes we can't see it in our own lives. If you're not careful, you're one decision away from yourself being an ugly, embarrassing mess. One decision matters. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. The most important decision you'll make is the one to trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. That's a dangerously, dangerously deceptive decision because the enemy is telling you right now, hey, you need to get saved, but just don't do it today. There's a lot of people here. You got places to go, things to do, and you can take care of that later. But can I tell you something? The enemy's never gonna whisper in your ear, now's the time to get saved, never. And so you're about to make a terrible decision and walk out of this room without Christ. Our pastors are here at the front. They'd love nothing more than to pray with you, answer any questions you have, and let you know that when you leave this building today that Christ is in your life and heaven is your home. Just walk down the aisle, take one of these guys by the hand and say, I want to become a Christian. Maybe you need to be baptized or maybe you need to join our church. Come tell them that today. They'll walk you through that process of joining our church. All those are really good decisions. But our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many of you would say this morning, preacher, I got some big time decisions I need to make and I sure want to make the right one. Would you raise your hand, hold it up, hold it up just for a moment? Yeah, 
Hands all over the room. How many of you would say, preacher, I got a family member, friend, coworker, somebody in my life I love, I care about, and they need to make some good decisions, and I'm worried they're about to make some bad ones. If that's you, would you got a friend that way? Would you hold your hand up and just say, hey, I want to pray for them all across the building. And I want, I want to challenge you to do this today. Josh is going to sing, and I want to invite you to come to the altar. And there are those of you in the, in the room today, you need to come to the altar and pray God and say, God, help me make a right decision. I don't want to make any decision that moves me away from God. I don't want to make any decision that follows my heart. I want to make a decision that follows God. Lord, help me make that decision. Some of you have relationships you need to come pray about. Some of you know other people who are about to make terrible decisions in their lives. And listen, come today and stand in the gap for them it's called intercessory prayer. Come today and stand in the gap for them. They may not even be praying themselves, but you can pray. You can pray. Pray for them. Whether you're at Rossville, whether you're at Rock Spring, today come. Let's do business with God. Father, draw us with your spirit. You speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.